Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. You can open your Bible or app, or you can read along on the screen. I will be reading in English and in Spanish this morning. Acts 1, 4 through 11. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons. Am I in the right one? Okay. I hope I'm in the right place. Okay, okay, cool. All right, I don't remember this in my practice. Okay, sorry. Uh, He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, And a cloud took him out of sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Y en español. Y reuniéndolos les mando que no salieran de Jerusalén, sino que esperan la promesa del Padre, la cual les dijo, oyeron de mí, porque Juan bautizó con agua, pero ustedes serán bautizados con el Espíritu Santo dentro de pocos días. Entonces, lo que estaban reunidos, le preguntaban, Señor, ¿restarás en este tiempo el rano al Israel?, Jesús les contestó, No les corresponde a ustedes saber los tiempos ni las épocas que el Padre ha fiado con su propia autoridad. Pero recibirán poder cuando el Espíritu Santo venga sobre ustedes. Y serán mis testigos en Jerusalén, en toda Judea y Samaria y hasta los fines de la tierra. Después de haber dicho estas cosas, fue elevado mientras ellos miraban, y una nube lo recibió y lo acotó de sus ojos. Mientras Jesús ascendía estando ellos mirando fijamente al cielo, se les presentaron dos hombres en vestiduras blancas, que les dijeron, varones galileos, ¿Por qué están mirando al cielo? Este mismo Jesús, que ha sido tomado de ustedes al cielo, vendrá de la misma manera, tal como lo han visto ir al cielo. This has been the reading of God's Word. We're going to jump back into the Gospel of John after Easter. Uh, next week, uh, Dale mentioned my former pastor, Philip Miles, is going to be preaching. I'm really excited about that, so I hope you'll all come um, and uh, enjoy that. Uh, 
the week after that will be Palm Sunday. We'll be preaching on the Palm Sunday text, and then that evening, as Dale mentioned, we're going to be celebrating a 10-year birthday party, and so that's pretty cool as well. And I can't think of a better way to celebrate that when, than with you guys together over some good food. Uh, and uh, then uh, the week after that is Easter. So I hope you're already, and if you're not yet, I hope you're praying about a, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, a family member that God's placed on your heart to invite to church on Easter. People tend to be a little bit more open uh, to church on that weekend. And I, what I'm praying for, and I hope that you'll be praying for it as well, I'm praying that we're going to have some baptisms in May because of the people that you guys invite in April at Easter. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, last week, David preached on John chapter 7, and his key verses, his text, his key text out of John chapter 7 was verses 37 through 39, and here's what they read. On the last day of the feast, the great feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this, he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And sitting there last week, and uh, listening to that sermon, the Lord was really encouraging me and speaking to me through the Word. Um, it, it seemed to me that it was was wise and maybe the leading of the Lord for us to, to kind of pause right there and expand a little bit more and expound a little bit more on the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Namely, what I'm asking is when Jesus says, rivers of living water, rivers, notice that plural, rivers plural of living water will flow or gush forth from those who believe in him. What does that mean? What does that have to do with when the Spirit was going to be given? Notice that John said after that, this he spoke of the Spirit who was to come, but he had not yet been given. He's looking ahead. He's saying this is something that will happen to you when the Spirit is given. In other words, why does Jesus make a point to say this thing is going to be fulfilled, but it's going to be fulfilled later? What does that mean? We're going to talk about that this morning. Now, I want you to, to know something as we begin. This is a pretty, I'm pretty excited about this. I would not have preached this sermon even a year ago to this church, to our church, and certainly not three years ago. But the Lord's been up to some stuff around here. The Lord's been up to some stuff, just like he has been, I believe, around the country. But three years ago, I wouldn't have described us as a hungry congregation. Praise God, I think that's begun to change and has changed. I think you guys are some hungry people. I think you're hungry for more of the Lord. I think you want to know him better. I think you're hungry to surrender to him more fully and you want to experience his love and his power more deeply than you have up to this point. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? In the depth of your soul, when you hear Jesus say, if you are thirsty, come to me. If you are hungry, come to me and find the satisfaction that you are longing for. Or do you feel a gnawing sense of hunger and thirst inside the soul of your, the core of your being? We've been praying for our members here at Doxa to be hungrier. 
So if you're a member here and you've had a growing hunger for the God, that's a sign that the Lord is beginning, beginning to answer our prayers. We've also been praying for God for the past nine or 12 months for that God would bring us hungry non-Christians, hungry believers, and hungry leaders. And if you found your way to us in the past nine to 12 months, you know what? That's the answer to prayer and that's a sign that God has been answering our prayers. And it's one of the clearest and surest signs that I have seen of God bringing awakening to us. And, and that's what we said that we want to be. We said that we want to be an awakened people who are sent by God to awaken others. And the beginning of awakening is always hunger. The beginning of revival is always hunger. The beginning of renewal is always hunger. A hungering and a thirsting for something more. And that hunger and that thirst creating inside you, creating inside us a willingness to step beyond where you have been. A willingness to go beyond where you have gone before. See, hunger and thirst will do that for you. It'll move you. Did you hear that invitation from Jesus? Listen to it. Go back to last week's sermon and listen to it when you leave here. But hear Jesus crying out to us today. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. This he said about the Spirit. Now, do you know what that is? When Jesus says that, when he says, this, whoever believes in me, out of the depths of his being, will gush forth, pour forth, pour forth multiple channels, multiple rivers, out of one person, will pour, a, a, a pouring forth, a gushing forth of living water to the people around you, to the world around you. You know what it is? It's a refutation of weak, ineffectual, powerless Christianity. God has no definition. God has no category for weak, powerless, ineffectual Christianity. Rivers of living water, he says. Out of your heart, gushing, springing forth life-giving water from whoever believes in Jesus. Now, my question is, does that describe your experience with Christianity? Does it describe your personal experience as a Christian? A gushing forth, rivers, powerful life-giving force flowing out of you, not from you, but from God through you? That's what Jesus called the promise of the Father. And he talked about the promise so much, the promise of the Father so much, you would think that we would talk about it more. You can hear it from the text this morning. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, was a great historian, and he wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts together as a story of the life of Jesus and his work. Luke is part one, and Acts is part two. And the Gospel of Luke deals with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and this is how he ends that story, Luke 24, 45. This is after Jesus has risen again, and he appears to his disciples. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And then, that's how Luke closes out the book, the Gospel of Luke. And then this is the way Luke opens up the book of Acts. In the first book, Theophilus, that's who he was writing to both of these books, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of heaven. Now again our text. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized to the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Here's Jesus. The risen Jesus. He's appeared to his followers for 40 days. Hundreds of his disciples have seen him. He's taught them. We just read in the passages. He opened the scriptures to them, showing them how the scriptures told about who he was to be and what he was to do. He's given them then their commission. You go to all the world and preach the gospel. And he's given, him, given them his authority. I, he puts his authority upon them and he says, I will be with you and I'll go with you. And then he has these parting words to them. What does he stress? He stresses the promise of the Father. The baptism or outpouring or filling of the Holy Spirit. Which is pretty incredible because these disciples, these apostles, had been with Jesus for three years they had seen all of his life and his miracles. They had heard his teachings. They had gone out even and ministered in his name. They had seen him arrested and tried and killed. They had seen the empty grave. They had, he had appeared to them, resurrected. Jesus had opened their mind to understand the scriptures. Then he gave them the commission. And then he says, but yet you're not yet ready to go on this mission that I've given you. Because what do you need? You need the promise of the Father. What's this great promise that Jesus stresses so much? The great promise of the Father was what Jesus called a mighty baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's what John the Baptist prophesied about Jesus. He said, one will come after me. I baptize with water, but one will come after me. He will baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is how Jesus described being the church being baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said, you'll be baptized. The picture there is immersed or poured out upon a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon you. Or so immersed in the, the third person of Godhead. He called it being clothed with power from on high. Did you get that from Luke? He says, wait for me there in Jerusalem until you are clothed, endued with power from on high. Being baptized with fire is another description that he used of it. And he said the result will be, as we already mentioned, 
rivers of living water flowing from you. The ability to witness to who Jesus was and is and what he will, will do and is doing today and the ability to successfully and fruitfully go to the ends of the earth proclaiming his gospel and seeing disciples won from those who are lost into the kingdom. So he told his disciples to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, I want us to think about this. Who is he stressing that to? These, these men and the women that, he was, that were waiting for him, waiting on him in Jerusalem, waiting in the upper room, worshiping and praising God in the temple, waiting for this promise of the Father to come to them, they were already believers in Jesus. They understood who he was and what he did on the cross already. They believed in his resurrection. They had seen him resurrected. They had received the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, when Jesus is resurrected and he appears in the upper room, he breathes upon them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. They were regenerate believers. So much so that they were gathering in the temple with great joy, praising God. And then what happened after they waited in Jerusalem? They're waiting there. 50 days after his resurrection, 10 days after his ascension, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. What happened? The church was baptized in the Holy Spirit in order to give it power. We see on that moment, on that day of Pentecost, they come out of the upper room where they had been afraid before, huddled together, afraid. They come out of the upper room, and all of a sudden there is a power. A crowd is gathered to them. Peter, who had denied Jesus three times, stands up and preaches a bold sermon about who Jesus was, what he came to do, and what he had done, and called the people to repentance, and 3,000 souls were added to their number that day the church started rolling that's what happens when the spirit of God is poured out upon a people the church is baptized in power and vitality that's what you might call a revival or an awakening it's when the spirit of God is poured out on a group of people just like it was on the day of Pentecost that's what it means to be revived. And that's what we've been praying for as a church. That's what we've been asking for, been waiting for, been seeking for an outpouring or a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit in our midst. That's what we've been praying for. I think that's a great need for the church in our day. Our church doesn't need better strategy. Our church doesn't even need a building. Did they have a building here? Our church doesn't need a better preacher. You might want one, but our church doesn't need one. We don't need great programs. We don't need a lot of money. These, these disciples didn't have enough money to pay their taxes when they were with Jesus. They had to have a fish show up who had the money in their mouth to pay the taxes. They were uneducated, unlearned, looked down upon. They were from Galilee. Nothing good comes from Galilee. 
Nothing good comes from Horry County. But God. See, that's the way God designs the church. He said, I know, brothers, not many of you were wise according to the pattern of this world. Not many of you were mighty. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And how does he do it? By in a way that's inexplicable to anybody on the outside, except taking that which is poor and lowly and pouring out mightily his presence and his power upon us so that you and I aren't the one doing the work. He does the work. And we participate with him. Where one and one doesn't equal two, one and one equals a gabillion. The math doesn't make sense when the Holy Spirit is poured out on a people, and that is the great need that you and I have. It's not a better strategy or program. It's not even for you to be more diligent in coming to church. I like it, though, but what we really need is God to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us so that his presence and his power is in our midst doing his work. And he arrests us to himself. The promise wasn't just a once for all for his disciples. It wasn't just to happen on the day of Pentecost. Some people believe that. But it doesn't, it doesn't stand up biblically, and it's not the way it has happened in church history. The history of the church is one of continual, fresh baptisms of the Spirit on God's people. In fact, there wasn't just one baptism in the book of Acts. These same believers, these same disciples that were gathered in the, on the upper room on the day of Pentecost when God's poured out his spirit for the first time upon his church were the same believers who were gathered in chapter 4 when they were threatened for the first time and they gathered together and they say, you see the threats against us. Please give us boldness that we can go out and proclaim your name because we're scared. They don't ask for boldness unless you're afraid. You know what happened? God poured out his spirit again upon those same people. The whole house where they were in shook and they went forth with boldness and miracles were done and many people came in to the church again. In chapter 8 of, of Acts, Peter and John come to Samaria and they find believers in Jesus who have not yet even heard, or don't, who haven't heard about the Holy Spirit or have not experienced the Holy Spirit. Lay their, they lay their hands on them and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They'd even been baptized in Jesus' name. In chapter 10, Peter shows up to Cornelius' house, the first Gentile missionary, and he comes and proclaims, and God's Spirit falls upon Cornelius' house so much so that they, not only did they become believers, but it says they spoke in tongues like they did it the first day. In chapter 19, Paul shows up in Ephesus, and he finds disciples who had been baptized with John's baptism but had not yet been baptized in Jesus' baptism. He tells them about Jesus, he baptizes them in Jesus' name, and then, separate from baptism, he lays his hands on them and they are baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. Could it be that our great need is for a fresh, powerful baptism or outpouring of God's Spirit upon us? See, God will pour out his spirit in a fresh way, a fresh baptism, a fresh outpouring when a church, when the church, when a group of people are in some severe trials, but he also comes when the church has been drifting. 
when he calls sleepy, lethargic, apathetic Christians back to himself, when he begins to wake them up with a hunger and a thirst, he shakes them, and then in response to their hunger and thirst and prayer, he pours out a mighty baptism of his Holy Spirit upon them. That's how he awakens and revives a people. And do you know what happens when his, God pours out his spirit afresh on a people? When he freshly baptizes a group of people in his spirit, when he pours out his spirit, you know what happens? Jesus is made much of. Because it's Jesus who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. He says, John baptized with water, but I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And then it's the Holy Spirit that makes Jesus real to us and the people around us. John, Jesus said this in John, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When the Spirit of truth comes, he says in chapter 16, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit when, he pours out his, when Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit upon a people, it makes Jesus' presence real in and through those people, individually and collectively. And when those people gather, there's a sense of awe and otherness because Jesus is in our midst through the Holy Spirit in each other. He will make Jesus real and he'll glorify Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He will glorify, he says in, in chapter 16, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit glorifies the name and person of the Son of God. When the Holy Spirit shows up in a, in a people, in a neighborhood, in a town, in a city, in a county, you know what happens? All of a sudden, Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the only one who is worthy of all honor and glory and power and strength, he becomes non-ignorable to the people around us. They may not follow him, but he can't be ignored any longer. He couldn't be ignored in Jerusalem after he poured out his spirit here. He couldn't be ignored in Ephesus when he poured out his spirit upon those, those men when Paul shows up. He couldn't, pour, he couldn't be ignored in any time, in any place, in the, Old Te in the New Testament or in the history of the church whenever he pours out his spirit upon a locale. No longer can he be ignored. I heard a story about a revival that hit this place in, I think it was in, in Great Britain somewhere. And a, a little kid said, haven't you heard about what's happened to our town? They said, no, what's happened? He said, Jesus has come to live there. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up. That's what the church is supposed to be. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and collectively the church is to be the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit on earth. Walking, living, breathing, representatives of Christ, not because I have it together, but because he dwells within me and has poured out his spirit upon me and therefore in me and through me to those around me, he declared, the Holy Spirit declares the glories of Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit gives power. All of a sudden, the church becomes effective at making disciples. The people in the church become fruitful in their lives. All of a sudden, they have an ability to share the gospel and see people come to Christ. 
Aren't you? I am so thankful for what the Lord has done and is doing in our midst. I just heard this week about three young people that have come to Christ in our church, three college students, just in the past few weeks. That's a very polite clap for something that's amazingly eternal. I am so thankful for that. But aren't you tired of the days of small things? Be thankful for the small things the Lord does. But aren't you tired of the days of small things? Aren't you tired of how much effort it takes to try to get people to do anything? To serve the Lord? To share their faith? Are you tired of how hard it is for you to share your own faith? Don't you need boldness from God? Not to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, but for the boldness of God's Spirit Himself to come and fall upon you and dwell in you and give you such a confidence in who He is and who He is to you that you cannot help but overflow with the praises of God. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. You know why the crowd was gathered? They said it wasn't because they heard tongues, though we can have a whole lot of conversations about that. If you want to talk to me about it, honestly, I don't have much interest to talk about it, but I'll be happy to field your questions. Because I don't care about what gifts God decides to use or not to use. I want what happened on Pentecost when they came. We hear you declaring the glories of God. That's what they gathered for. We didn't, they didn't even have to go out to them. They gathered to them because they heard them declaring the glories of God and they wanted to know more about it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit causes us to be witnesses of Jesus. You hear that? He said, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He gives boldness. That's what happened in Acts 4. They asked for boldness and he gave it by pouring out his spirit upon them. It gives us the ability to push outward and to push back darkness. Aren't you tired of seeing the church get buffeted? Aren't you tired of hearing constant reports about how the church is bleeding people, bleeding young people, losing ground, almost every denomination losing people? Are you tired of hearing reports about how people go to church less and less? They view themselves as a regular tender at church that they go to church once or twice a month? The answer isn't to guilt people into coming to church. I, I have, that doesn't appeal to me at all. But you know what? If God's presence is poured out upon a people, they will come. That's the answer. The baptism of the Holy Spirit turns all people into witnesses. That was the promise of the prophet Joel, and it's what Peter said after the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. He stood up and he said, this is that which the prophet Joel prophesied. That the last days I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. It was revolutionary. The Holy Spirit coming is revolutionary and says that he pours out his spirit upon the young and the old, the men and the women, the rich and the poor, the black and the white, the, the, the multilingual, the one-lingual, the, the southerner, the northerner. He pours out upon them all indiscriminately and uses them all. What are the results of a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit upon us? What the results are? The same thing 
for us, the same thing in the history of the church, the same thing that it was on the day of Pentecost, after the day of Pentecost. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. I'm using a lot of scripture today because I know a lot of you will have questions about what I'm teaching about. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, the, the first primary and maybe most precious result when God pours out his spirit, baptizes a people fresh with his Holy Spirit, is the sense of the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is God. Whenever he shows up, the presence of God shows up. And the result is always awe. Worship. A mixture that's unique to Christianity of intense reverence and incredible love for God. The presence of God in the midst of his people is the most dire need of the church today. It's the most dire need for you and for me and our church today. A power to witness, authority, spirit-given assurance and confidence which leads to boldness. Many of us, many of you, struggle with a sense of assurance that you are saved, that you are God's. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us. He gives a special sense of assurance that we are his, which leads to boldness in our witness and a joy overflowing. Do you hear that in every single passage that we just read that has to do with the Holy Spirit being poured out? Every single instance that you hear about it in the history of the church? People don't come out dour and glum and gritting their teeth. There is joy among God's people. A gratefulness to him for Jesus Christ. A gratefulness for him for his love and compassion towards us. A gratefulness for his salvation and for all the work that he's doing in and through and around us. A joy overflowing. A joy that isn't hinging upon circumstance. And a fresh love for God and each other. Did you hear that in the passage? They didn't count what they had as their own. They shared with each other. They broke bread in each other's house with glad and generous hearts. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by, first of all, your love for one another. What we're talking about it producing is a different kind of life, a different kind of ministry, a different kind of effectiveness producing a different kind of a church. So here's my question for you this morning. Have you received it? The deepest longing of my soul 
is that I would receive this and be a part of a church and a people that experience it. Because it is, by nature, experiential. God's Spirit is never poured out in the New Testament but that it's obvious. Nobody has to, walks away saying, hey, did God pour out his Spirit in our midst? Like, it's obvious. That power can't be hidden. God's presence is known. If it is something that God offers for us, why would we not make our, all of our effort into crying out to him to do it? Because here's the truth. It must not be imitated or worked up. It must not be conjured. It must not be assumed that certain chords played in a song can create it. Any certain preacher can bring it. Any certain attitude or lighting or place produces it. It must not be imitated or worked up. It cannot and it must not be and is not man-centered at all. We cannot make it happen. It is incredibly and absolutely God-centered. That's what revival is, by the way. And I want you to know about this. If you pray for God, revive me, renew me, bring awakening to me. If you ever pray that for yourself, for your church, I want you to know what that means. It means a giant displacing in your life. Because if you and I need to be revived, it means we're not vived enough. And that brings correction and a reshuffling of priorities in life. And if you say, God, revive me, revive us, I promise you it will create and demand a reshuffling and a reordering of you and your priorities in your life. It is me right now. There is a cost associated. Because it's God coming, re, returning to the central place in our hearts and lives and in our midst as a people. It's not man-centered at all. We cannot make it happen. It is a sovereign work of our good God. So where does that leave us? Well, it means it must be prayed for and actively waited upon. Jesus said this. He was talking about prayer. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. Jesus says this, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I mean, he's saying, you keep knocking and asking, you keep knocking and asking, you keep knocking and asking. He said this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. For everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds, 
and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? This is our payoff verse. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Are you hungry to have a fresh baptism of the Spirit by Jesus through the Father? You again hear Jesus saying, if anyone thirsts, come to me. Hunger and thirst are driving passions. They're not temporary. Asking, seeking, knocking, it means not giving up. But trusting in the goodness of the Father, it is his promise after all. Or how much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here's my call to you. Repent and surrender. What in your life, when I talk about displacing, it might be a sin, it might be a, a pet doctrine you hold on to, it might be a good thing. But you know the Lord's calling you to surrender this thing to him. To repent or to surrender. Set aside anything that hinders you. Set aside this morning anything that comes to your mind that said, you know what, in, in all actuality, this thing or that thing or these things are more precious to me than being hunger, hungry and thirsty for a fresh baptism of God's Holy Spirit upon me and upon us. Surrender it and repent today. Don't wait. And if, you, if you're thinking, I don't even know that I can surrender this thing, I don't know that I can even repent of this thing, ask God to help you repent and help you surrender. Stop trying to do it on your own. Let the power of Jesus Christ, let the person of Jesus Christ come in and help you surrender what you can't seem to surrender on your own. How hungry are you? Our Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask question is, will we seek? Father, I am desperately hungry for you. I thank you so much for what you have been, what you have done for me in Christ. Thank you for your work in my life. Even over these past months, Lord, I don't just want more, but I need more. We need you to come and revive your church. We need you to come and pour out your spirit upon us. We need a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit in our midst. So Lord, I desperately ask you for that. ask that you would make us a hungry and a thirsty people. That you would breed faith in our souls to ask boldly, impudently, 
trusting that you will pour out your spirit upon us when we ask. God, we trust your timing. If it's today, oh Lord, praise you. If it's tomorrow, praise you. Lord, that is what we cry out for and ask for. Now, Lord, I ask that you would deal with each person here in their heart, things that they're struggling with, hurting, questioning, those things of repentance and surrender that they keep pushing away from and pushing back against. But I pray that today, no longer would it be a a struggle back and forth, but they would ask you to come and help them to repent and help them to surrender, and they would find a help from you that they haven't been able to do on their own. God, for those in this place who have let good things, family, career, money, finances, grades, good things, busyness, entertainment, choke out a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a hunger and thirst for you, a hunger and thirst to see you move and to be used by you. Lord, I pray that you would bring a breakthrough to their souls this morning, break through the hardness, bring in deep conviction, change even today, Lord, hearts and minds. Arrest us is what I'm praying for, Lord. Come and arrest your people. Don't let us stay where we have been. Look down upon us with mercy and pour out your spirit upon us. We come and we ask you. We commit ourselves to wait for you, to actively wait for you, but to wait nevertheless. Come to your people, Lord that Jesus would be exalted. Glorify your son, Jesus Christ. Glorify him. It's in his name we pray.